Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Welcome. I'm Karen Lucas, president of IWF, and I'm here with IWF's Inez Stepman. Um, Inez, thanks so much for doing this with me. You know, I feel like we should have some 70s music playing in the background or something. Because <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Equal Rights Amendment. Um, you know, I thought this was something that uh, Phyllis Schlafly had uh, you've driven a stake in the heart of um, years and years ago. But, um, but can you tell us a little bit about why we're starting to hear about the ERA again? Sure. And thanks for having me. And thanks for talking about this topic. I think it's going to be increasingly important. Uh, And and the reason for that is that there is a modern push to revive the ERA. Um, It started in 2016 when Nevada ratified the ERA, um, followed by Illinois in 2017. So right now, because there have been 35 states that ratified it in the 70s, proponents are arguing that if they get just one more state and then they get Congress to retroactively bless um, these modern ratifications past the deadline, and we'll get to that in a minute, there are some legal problems with the way that um, proponents are sort of thinking they can push this through. Um, But nevertheless, proponents are saying they just need one more state. Uh, There was a push recently in Virginia in the most recent legislative session, that push appears to have failed, but they have 13 states to get the one last state out of, um, including Arizona um, and uh, Florida and and North Carolina and several other uh, moderate to sort of uh, purple states. So um, they like their chances of getting one more state on this thing and then uh, getting Congress to uh, remove the deadline that it passed in the 1970s. So it seems that we are right back in the middle of the ERA debate, just as though it were 1777. <laughs> I mean, 1977, sorry. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's funny because um, I feel like a, I, one reason why this may have some traction is that I think upon hearing this, a lot of people could say, ah, you know, so what? Who cares? It sounds like, you know, women's equality. Um, what's the harm in passing this this um, new amendment? Um, but what is, I know that that's, it's not as simple as that. Can you tell us a little bit about what the actual harm would be? Sure. So I think that slaughter proponents are um, pulling a bait and switch here when we talk about the ERA, because when they talk to the general public, they like to emphasize that this is this is something basic, right? We are enshrining basic legal equality under the law uh, between men and women into the Constitution. Those you know evil sexist founders, they didn't believe that women had equal rights, and uh, therefore we have to correct their mistake. Um, but we're just talking about basic legal quality under the law. If that's what we're talking about, the ERA is indeed unnecessary. In fact, nobody makes the argument, uh, nobody has for a very, very long time, and in many cases never since the founding of the country, uh, made the argument that, for example, free speech rights don't belong to women as much as they belong to men, or the right to a jury trial, or the right to choose your religion and to practice your religion freely, or the right to bear arms. Nobody nobody argues that these very, very important fundamental rights do not apply equally to women as they do to men. And then, of course, the 19th Amendment enshrines women's right to vote, although women were voting in many states in the United States from the beginning. Discrimination sounds really terrible in the way that you or I, Carrie, might talk about it in sort of casual parlance, but discrimination uh, has a very specific meaning in the law, which is any law that would distinguish at all between men and women in any way, right? So for example, there's a discrimination in our draft laws, only men 
register for the selective service. And while we do now allow women to go to the front lines in combat, we recognize, for example, that there might be a very big difference between the average woman's ability to go to, to the combat front lines and the average man's ability to go into combat. Um, we might recognize that there is still a very deep difference there, um, and our laws recognize that difference. So that's one instance of a law that would be potentially constitutionally infirm under the ERA. So another example might be programs that are designed specifically to help uh, with female vulnerabilities or particular things uh, or challenges that women have to face that are different than from those that men face. So, for example, the WIC program uh, that stands for Women, Infants, and Children because it's aimed at very young mothers um, and, and uh, mothers with young children, rather, with infants and young children and offering them welfare support. Um, there are also a whole host of possibilities um, in terms of the ERA overturning laws. Uh, there are tons of grants, both on the federal and the state level, that go to all kinds of programs that are meant to encourage and help women and girls, both in K-12 and in, um, in higher ed. There are all kinds of programs, for example, that encourage women to go into the STEM fields, encourage women to learn how to code and do computer programming, um, all kinds of scholarships for women in higher ed. Um, all of those things would be constitutionally suspect. Um, but it's, it's part of the problem is that it's hard to know exactly how the ERA would be applied because this very broad notion of legal equality, which the vast majority of Americans agree when we're talking about things like, um, you know, intentional discrimination against women, for example, in the workplace or um, things like that, the vast, vast majority of Americans, over 90 percent, agree that that's a bad thing and that we should treat people equally under the law. But the problem is this kind of really broad language in the ERA is basically throwing open the door to judges to pour in whatever they think equality means into that concept. And the consequences of that could actually be quite wide ranging. And a lot of voters are not, this is not what they're thinking about when they're thinking about the ERA. They think it sounds nice. They think it's about basically equal equality. They're not thinking about how it might impact programs for women and girls. They're not thinking about for example, sex-segregated restrooms in public facilities like public schools. Um, they're not thinking about the draft, right? They're thinking about that basic legal equality that we already have and how this is kind of a feel-good enshrinement of that basic legal equality. But in fact, it could have, have way wide-reaching um, consequences, much more wide-reaching consequences than we think. Yeah, you know, I, I, that's really interesting because I do think this is one of those you know, classic examples of something that sounds really good, um, but until you get into the details, because you're right that a lot of people just assume this is, hooray, women's equality. Of course, we want all women to be equal. Um, but then obviously, a lot of people um, who are the most active ERA supporters certainly wouldn't want those programs that are specific to helping um, women and, and girls. You know, you think of all the apprentice programs, all of the education focus, all they try to do in STEM um, that's female specific. It really is interesting to think what a truly um, you know, genderless or you know, women and men being completely equal, what that would what that would mean. So, you know, one one final question for you is what are so if it sounds it sounds you know, like there is a tremendous potential that one of these states is going to um, ratify the amendment. Um, you know, is it, so what what happens next? What would be the the path the path forward? What what would the um, um, kind of fallout fallout be? So there are a number of legal problems and open questions that will have to be decided both by courts and by Congress about this going forward. So um, in the 1970s, you know, we kicked this off talking about Phyllis Schlafly. 
Um, in the 1970s, in 1972, Congress passed this amendment in both through both houses and sent it to the states for ratification with a seven-year timeline, right? So they said, in seven years, if you can get the 38 states to ratify, this will become law. Well, they didn't get those states to ratify. In fact, they got 35 in the first several years. But by the time that the Congress the Congress's deadline was looming, they realized, okay, because Phyllis Schlafly and her, her millions of conservative ladies um, came out and, and really made a, a strong argument against this um, for actually some of the same reasons that you and I just talked about, right? That the fact that, that women's the, the differences between men and women um, actually are reflected in, in our law sometimes, but those differences are real and oftentimes ignoring them uh, actually redounds not to the benefit of women, but to their detriment. Uh, but they really stopped it cold in its tracks in the 70s. Um, and, and Congress extended the deadline for another several years, but no additional states ratified. So we, we leave the 1970s with 35 states ratified, and then actually out of those 35 states, which is another really interesting legal question, um, one put a sunset clause on their ratification. So they're saying we, are, we have no longer ratified. And then four more have actually issued, um, have rescinded their ratification. Um, and the issue of rescission of, of a state actually saying before an amendment has become law, no, we, we don't want to ratify. The, the view of the people of the state now is that uh, we don't want to ratify this bill. Um, so it, it, it's interesting what the constitutional status of that will be. It's not clear whether or not rescission is allowed. Um, but if you combine the proponents of the ERA's position on rescission, which is that it, it ought not to be allowed, and then um, you combine it with the idea that we can just kind of continue this ratification debate forever until we get to the magic number, it kind of seems to add up to something that is, is contradictory to the spirit of the, the uh, of Article 5 amendment process, right, which is to show this overwhelming popular support for an idea that then gets enshrined in the Constitution it kind of seems like there's no way for the United States to actually reject an amendment um, under that view. If ratification is open forever, it could be ratified, you know, 100 years ago by a totally different electorate by half of the states. And then for a totally and completely different reason, ratified 100 years later by a totally different electorate and never actually have even a majority, let alone a supermajority of voters in the United States and still then become law and written into the, the United States Constitution. So the Supreme Court is likely to weigh in um, on some of these questions. Previously, they've kind of left these questions to Congress, but they haven't had an opportunity to really um, dig into uh, something that might have real impact like the ERA and whether or not it's okay for something like the ERA to become law without potentially having a majority of the current electorate, let alone an overwhelming support. Um, and so it'll be really interesting to see if they do get that 38th state I think the bigger hurdle for them will be to get Congress to then remove its own deadline that it passed with the ERA originally. If they get both of those things, um, then we will see this kick to the courts and we'll see um, how the courts come down on some of these really interesting questions. Well, you know, that is, a, it really is a very interesting um, take on how you know, it's supposed to be difficult to get a, an amendment through for, for good reason. And, um, and it's interesting to see how, the, how this process might move forward. Um, well, Inez, thank you so much for talking uh, with me about this today. And thank you to everybody who's listening. If you like this podcast, please be sure to give us a thumbs up and come find us on our website, iwf.org, where all issues are women's issues. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.